Welcome to the Energy Fellows podcast, where each episode is designed to share expertise and experiences from U.S. and global energy fellows. They provide direction and possible solutions for ultimate journey results. Here's your host, Mark Stansberry. Enabling best-in-class customer experience and operational excellence in a hyper-connected oil and gas world, TCS prioritizes problem-solving and leverages customer insights to drive real business results. To find out more, go to TCS.com. That's TCS.com. Welcome to another episode of Energy Fellows, the Energy Fellows. I'm Mark Stansbury, your host. Today, we have with us Ashley Nichols. Welcome, Ashley. Thank you, Mark. It's great to be here. Well, it's great to have you on the Energy Fellows podcast. We look forward to this in regard to what you provide with the line Energy Solutions, you and Phil Rice and others. We'd like to hear more about that. But first, we always like to hear about, and it's a popular part of the show, is the journey of life from where you began and where you are today. So that that journey, take all the time you want on that, because we'd like to hear about you. All right. Well, I will do my best to talk about myself, even though I would prefer other subjects. But it really is a joy to be here with you today. And it's interesting because when we talk about a line a little bit later, it really is the culmination of my professional journey and things that I've been a part of up to this point. My initial background is was actually in the creative industry, very hands-on, very external facing when it came to creating visuals for use in marketing and branding and coordinating those efforts across different sectors of an organization. And so that played out in several different ways. I was in the retail space in Southern California for a time and then had a boutique firm on my own for a little while back in my home state of Georgia and then was in Oklahoma for a while working with a large retail company here as well in their creative space. And that is one part of me that will always be there and is a huge part of who I am as an individual and as a professional. And then another piece that has really played into my journey is the leadership development and organizational development that makes companies run really well. And that can play into culture. It can play into individual development and self-awareness, team development, and applying and executing initiatives across an organization, strategy, all of those sorts of things. So yeah, those are kind of the two buckets that my world has fallen into so far. Well, that leads us to Align Energy Solutions. You and Phil Rice and others have joined efforts to provide a service that I think is very important these days. I know I emphasize this quite a bit when I give talks and on the episodes, I always mention uh, especially the digital transformation from the whiteboard to the boardroom quite often. And because trying to connect, get away from disconnecting, but connecting and how you go about, especially the challenge of workforce development and time management and everything that's combined to make sure things are aligned. So the word align energy solutions. And so I would like you to, if you will, provide the avenue and the pathways of And especially in the energy sector, we're looking for ways to strive for energy efficiency and environmental preservation. And how do we go about that, keeping things aligned in the environment we're in? We have a great future when it comes to energy and the future of energy, but we've got to make sure that we have everything in order and make sure that companies understand 
their employees, but the employees understand the board and the C-suite. So everything works together. I know I'd been on several boards and C-suite level where a lot of times we'd fill out forms and look at the ways that we should be improving, but never really going out and getting the individual's attention when it came to the employees and workforce. Sometimes we just fill out the forms and not really relate as to how they want to embrace the future as well. So it takes all of us. It takes a team. And so with that said, Align Energy Solutions, tell us about Align. Absolutely. You nailed it, Mark, just that First of all, you said the future of energy is bright, and I couldn't agree more. We believe in America's energy at Align, and we're excited for the transition that the energy industry is currently participating in. And yet we also recognize that with transition comes challenges. And in the midst of those challenges, there are so many multifaceted, interconnected issues so there's really not a one size fits all solution that, you know, even though we wish there was, but it really does take, as you mentioned, that holistic alignment to create pathways into the future of energy. And that's where Align comes into play. We have created systems and ways of approaching this transition with more integrated holistic solutions that really address a lot of the obstacles that companies in the industry are facing. You mentioned the talent gap, which is huge, and I'll talk more about that in just a moment. But we also see obstacles around cultural resonance with the rising generation. You mentioned you know, ESG, environmental concerns, and then also just helping people within and outside the industry understand from a messaging perspective who the energy industry is transitioning into becoming versus just focusing on potentially bad press from the past and things like that. And within the talent gap that you mentioned, there are a lot of companies within the industry and outside the industry that are doing a great job with talent. But unfortunately, we're finding that right now, almost half of the industry stats say about 43% are considering leaving and about 30% are likely to quit, which is not good numbers. And so we've started taking a look at that, taking that apart and saying, you know, what are the typical solutions? Things like signing bonuses and larger salaries. And are those still working to attract new employees, especially young ones? Or do we need to be looking at different things? And Forbes has an article where they're talking about, we really do need to be including other things, including shifts in sustainability, work-life balance, inclusion in worker behavior. Because that's really going to shape our perception of what it takes to recruit, engage, and retain great talent. What does it come down to? Discovery? I think it's what you have. And Mm -hmm. tell us about that. Is that what the bottom line is, is making sure proper discovery? That is a huge part of it, yes. So the initial part of the Align process is we do a discovery within an organization to get a sense of where things currently are. That helps us understand culture. It helps us understand where there are gaps in leadership that are leading to gaps in talent. And that is the primer for any kind of solution that is introduced because that really helps us understand where the disconnect is happening. And, you know, sometimes within an organization, different business units might be doing actually what they need to be doing, but maybe the communication between those units isn't working. If that's the case, then that's the easy lift. We just come in and help with communication across the board but there's not any glaring red flags within these individual units. But typically we find there are issues isolated here and there 
in addition to some communication issues happening. Well, beyond discovery, it's really knowing the industry, your particular industry. Mm -hmm. And I find that I know from my own observations and participation in the past is that sometimes we think we know our energy industry or our particular sector, but we sometimes don't. I know this, what you do as Line Energy Solutions falls into not just the oil and gas sector, but you know whether it's hydrogen or wind or solar or whatever it might be, nuclear mass, everyone needs this opportunity to align. And so you might tell us about how we go about making sure we understand our industry and then how do we go about those comparisons to use it from a talent standpoint as well? Right. Absolutely. And, you know, part of what we do is work with different experts in the industry who have been a part of the initial rumblings of this transition before it was even full blown into what it is today. But we really do look across the board at ESG, at branding and messaging. For an example, you may have an energy company that is historically oil and gas. Maybe they're wanting to move into more green energy solutions. And there's a lot of different ways that they may be experiencing obstacles to really moving forward with that initiative. It could be the technology. It could be the messaging behind it. And so part of what we do is help potential talent understand what sort of organization they would be moving into and even help current talent be retained and stay engaged by informing them about these initiatives from the top down so they're not feeling left out, but they're really feeling like a part of what is happening. And we have found that when people feel connected to an initiative, when they feel let in and also allowed to speak to those things, there is a much better rate of recruitment and retention around these ideas. I'm glad you mentioned recruitment and retention because ESG, when it initially began, was really created from the standpoint of making sure environmental social governance was used that way to make sure that companies had the retention and the recruitment necessary for workforce development and finding the right talent. And I feel like there's the, it's now being used, or at least appears to be used by some, is more of a threat. Instead, you need to do ESG or you're not going to get funding or you're not going to be support, we're not mm-hmm. going to support you mm-hmm. in the energy industry. When in fact, it goes back to the roots of it is that if we would use, by using your, what you're trying to do in the line, is go out and study what is in the workplace in that particular company, for example, and find out what's needed when it comes to environmental or social governance, that it can be applied in the correct way and not, you know, the threat in itself is not going to be helpful. It's more of how can it be used to build a company. And then I think of, I go beyond ESG to cybersecurity, which is definitely something that needs to be embraced even more so. I find that there are those in companies that are not addressing it properly, and that's an issue. And uh, then making sure that there are different compliances that are in order. I mean, what you do at Align can go into so many different areas besides retention and recruitment. It can go into, like I say, ESG and cybersecurity and digital transformation, for example. So what other areas and what other ways, is probably a better way to say that, that Align can really bring a company up to the level of going, the whiteboard can see what the, you know, what the boardroom is looking at and vice versa, where they're working together instead of being disconnected. Right. And honestly, you nailed it, Mark. The places where a line can be at the table and have a voice that's impactful are truly limitless. 
It's truly any places in a company that are experiencing disconnect or gaps or maybe just lag in moving forward. That's where a line can come in and say, help identify those issues, do that discovery process, work alongside leadership to implement solutions. And, you know, you named a few different ways that could play out. Something that we find often, particularly around the energy transition, is a gap between maybe a marketing branding space and that HR space, both internal and external facing HR. And so sometimes what we can do is come in and work primarily on the branding, the marketing, the advertising, the messaging, or just work in the HR. But ideally, we find the best partnership happens when both of those pieces of a company are working together to formulate a streamlined messaging around who the company is, what they're wanting to accomplish. And that trickles down and out into every facet of what their organization is doing and all the stakeholders. And that includes anywhere from investors to the board level, to talent, and to consumers, because all of those pieces are being touched at that point. That's a great observation because what you said is actually being, I'm hearing it in the workforce, again, from those that are on the C-suite level and also in other levels of an organization. And that, for example, the branding alone, uh, companies have been called, whatever the name might be, and they'll say, oil and gas. And when, in fact, most of the business now is, you know, 60, 70% wind, but 30, 40% oil and gas. So they go, well, we need to change the name to energy instead, whatever name may be, you know, Mark, <laughs> Mark Energy, instead of saying Mark Oil and Gas. And just that alone can create a different view and align people differently. One friend has a wind company, for example, that he changed it because he had just energy on there. And it's really wind energy. But there's companies that have changed from energy to oil and gas with the name attached because, or natural gas instead of just oil and gas. So there's ways to, just on a name alone, a logo, a logo you've had for 20 years may be great still, but it may not be. So if you might go a little bit further with the branding because I know it has made a difference on companies existing, right? I mean, some companies, if they don't take on the branding alone, they could, and marketing, they may not be in existence, especially five years from now with the challenges we have in the energy industry. It's very true, Mark. Branding is a huge part of a positioning strategy in the market. And, you know, you mentioned the logo or you mentioned a website. And to some degree, I can absolutely understand how in the grand scheme of what an organization is doing, the extent of things that they're holding before their investors and before their board and before their company. On one hand, the website or the logo or the copy that's on your site might feel like the smallest thing. But truthfully, that is, particularly in the digital age, those sorts of things are the initial touch points that so many stakeholders have with your company. They are pathways not only to people looking to engage with you, but also with the press, to other companies who may be interested in partnering with you, all of those pieces. And sometimes as a company and as an individual, it's really easy to just do what we're doing but not be able to name what we're doing with others. It's hard to, even as I said in the beginning, it's hard to talk about ourselves, whether we're speaking on an individual level or an organizational level. And part of the goal in branding and in the marketing pieces is to help companies really express who they are versus, you know, a lot of the times when people think branding, they go, oh, we're just going to put a new coat of paint 
on an old house. And we don't want to do that. We really want whatever messaging or things that are coming out of a company to really represent their excellent values and the core of who they are that is flowing throughout the organization. So before we can even do that, if those core values aren't there, we have to put those things in place or else it will crumble from the inside out. And that's part of the discovery process that we mentioned is really making sure the company is doing what it actually set out to do, that it wants to do, and then telling that story in a way that people are able to get that full picture and get on board with that vision in whatever way they're engaging with the company, whether that's you know as an employee, as a board member, or as a consumer. That's wonderful. Wonderful explanation and about your company, about Align, and what services you have, and how do those that are interested in connecting with the line? How do they go about that? Yeah, thanks for asking. You can find us online at alignenergysolutions.com. And that's a great way to get in touch with us. And we would love to hear from you and engage with you further. Ashley, as far as breakout of, you know, say I'm interested in using a line, how do I go about, is there a discovery, different levels that people can, or companies can look at? I mean, from a initial level to, you know, different phases. How's that work? You kind of go through that, if you will, different ways that you can be chosen to be the firm to go through this transition of alignment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Great question. The general answer is that we really tailor every piece of work we do with to the organization. So really whatever you're in need of, we meet you there. And Typically, it starts with a conversation. So as Mark mentioned, reaching out on the website is a great place to interface with us. And we would love to hop on a call with you and just hear what attracted you to Align, what your needs are, if there are any issues you're currently able to shine a light on, or if you're just feeling, you know, there's a disconnect, but I don't know what it is. And we Mm -hmm. can start there. And so typically, it does begin with individual conversations at the C-suite level. And then from there, we can, once we've been able to maybe go through a little bit of discovery with a few key individuals, we can decide, okay, do we need to go through discovery with all the teams in the company or certain teams or certain sectors and apply it from there? And the way that can look is we have some diagnostic tools that happen online before conversations are being done face-to-face or over a call. And then from there, it's more of we're looking at you know several months of engagement from three to six to 12 months, depending on the needs of an organization. And that can look like, you know, some a half day discovery and more intensives going down the road from there. This is exciting and wonderful. All the positive words I can think of. <laughs> so it's exciting what you're doing for <laughs> sure. And how again, how do they contact you, Ashley? So you can get in touch with us at Align, that's A-L-I-G-N, energysolutions.com. And you've been listening to Ashley Nichols with Align Energy Solutions. And this is a time where I've asked Ashley, there's some questions out there that folks have been asking. And so I asked her if she would stay on as our guest and now kind of a co-host, I guess, in a sense, uh, to to go over some questions that I need to answer. And what would be better than to have Ashley to help me today? So thank you, Ashley, if you will do that. Absolutely. It's an honor. And I'm excited to hear myself the answers to some of these questions. So I'm going to jump right in. You know, we started with hearing a little bit of my story. I would love to hear, Mark, tell us just to set the scene about a little bit about your past efforts overseas in Russia and China. 
Oh, wow. Thank you for asking that question. And I got involved. I, I received a, an opportunity in a letter form back in 1992 to be a member of a delegation to go to Russia. And so I thought about it long and hard and thought, you know, it's only a year after the coup. Should I go over there? Are there really opportunities? What are the challenges and all those kind of things you go through in your mind? And so I wound up accepting to go. And there was 20 of us, 20 member delegation and August of 1992. So 30 years ago and went over there not knowing what we'd really see, but we had a good meeting scheduled as far as we got to meet with what would be equivalent to the Minister of Energy of Russia and several leaders throughout Russia. We visited, of course, Moscow and St. Petersburg, Mahachkala and Caspian Sea. And it was a very in- intense study of what was necessary or needed in Russia at the time. They were going through quite a transition. Everybody seemed to be welcoming that they wanted to free market system where they had the opportunities that Americans had. They were, you know, not in the economic position to do as much as they would hope by any means. So they were needing help. And so the attitude was very positive. I stayed working off and on in Russia for on opportunities there for close to from about 92 until about 99. And then about that time, things changed. And that was when uh, I was starting to fill more like the old days that we read about. And so we pretty much pulled out thinking that there would be an opportunity in the future in Russia. I wrote a column in Oil Man magazine just a few months ago about that experience. And it really mirrors what was going on at that time. It looked like, you know, capitalism was on the way, more of a free economic, free market system, but that was starting to go away about seven years later what I felt safe uh, walking down the streets of Moscow in, 90, in the early 90s changed somewhat by the late 90s. I was invited one time, well, I met with the Energy, the Minister of Energy in 1993 again after the 92 visit. And there was a four member delegation there to go visit with the Russian Minister of Energy. And so we had a meeting, his name's Yuri Shafronik, who's still active in the oil and gas front in Russia. But I haven't spoken to him since that time frame around the 90s, early 90s. And so it wound up that I was invited back to speak in the mid 2000s, about 2012 or so, about 20 years later, to speak at the Russian embassy in D.C. I was part of a three-member delegation from the U.S. and three members from Russia to talk about how can we work together. Well, that went well from that day, but from that day forward, we didn't see any results. So there were at one point, over 35,000 idle wells in Russia that needed to be worked, uh, reworked. And yeah, it was unbelievable. On the China front, I can, and again, there's a column on the Russian front in One Way Magazine that gives more in-depth on that. On the China front, I got involved. I was going to have a family meeting, an event, that is, during Memorial Day holiday in 90, let's see, it would be 93. I was invited to speak before a delegation here in Oklahoma City, of all things, there was a delegation from the Minister of Energy from each of the provinces of China represented, and the head of the China government as well, as far as energy. And it was here in Oklahoma City. Again, I'm speaking about China now. And so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wound up telling my wife, Nancy, about it. She said, you ought to take that opportunity to speak to them, even though you have family coming in for this Memorial Day holiday and all this kind of thing going on, and already had some activities planned, business plans. It all works for that week. So you need to stop what you're doing, I think, on this one. Great advice from Nancy. So I, I attended, <laughs> <laughs> I listened, 
and went and attended a meeting where I spoke and actually took the delegation on a tour of different facilities in Oklahoma and so forth. And one particular minister of energy from one of the provinces, Zhejiang province, invited me to come to China the next year and to bring a delegation with on economic development, not just on energy. And so I chaired a delegation the next year, 94, and went to China and visited uh, several cities in China. And we've actually, in the long run, developed a an import-export agreement, one of the first import-export agreements for a small company. That opened up doors for about this five-year agreement. And so from 94 to about 99, again, about the same time frame, we were working with the Chinese in opportunities. They wanted to, similar to Russia, to have a free market system and uh, ca- you know capitalism and things like that. But by about 1999, things started slowing down from that standpoint of, of the way I felt as far as uh, uncomfortable in a sense. You know, from 94 to 99 was a different feeling from the 94 timeframe to 99 and got uh, complicated somewhat. I know the last time I went to China was in 2006. And my goodness, the development was unbelievable from 94 to 2006. It's, you know, the industrialization, the highway system alone had dramatically changed. Of course, it has definitely since then. So they've come a long way in that regard. But there's definitely the political, geopolitical situations now that confront us. And so definitely on hold to see, like everyone else is, what's going to happen when it comes to Russia and China. That's not what we hoped in the earlier days. I still have hope for peace and understanding for the world, for all of us. But right now, it's definitely something to be concerned about. Sure. Absolutely. That's what you were able to do in those years is incredible. And you're such a huge pillar in the industry here in the States. And to be able to be a part of what's happening on the global scale as well is so incredible. And we're grateful for the investment that you've made there of your time and of your expertise. And I'm curious, how does that tie in? And did that help lead to the release of your recent monograph? What led you Mm -hmm. into that? Well, thank you for saying all that too, Ashley. It really means a lot. In regard to the monograph, I'd written a book called America Needs America's Energy, Creating Together the People's Energy Plan, which came out in 2012, was released then. And so I was concerned about the future, future generations about when it comes to energy, not just the United States, but if we're strong in an energy sector or energy industry that is here in the United States, it's going to impact the world. We're the leaders and are the leaders when it comes to energy. Nothing moves without energy. And so I wrote the monograph uh, along with Oklahoma State University graduates from the Center for International Trade Development. And I really went to them for the simple reason is that we needed a supplement to the book to bring it up to this time frame. You know, take 2012, a lot of things have happened in the last 10 years. But I wanted to be where it was arm's length, where the students could do the research when it came to crude oil, natural gas, wind, solar, hydrogen, biomass, nuclear, and coal and other areas, that they were able to show the pros and cons and bring those up to date and show some figures from different agencies and different organizations to provide the backup of what really does the future of energy hold and where is it going. And so I found it to be educational myself. And so the monograph is really worthwhile for me as a tool, and hopefully others will use it as a tool to be able to dialogue and converse and to debate. I found that we have to make sure we have our own security when it comes to energy in the United States. 
the globe is very important because there's billions of people that don't have the luxury of having energy like we do. When you think that there's a child tonight that's going to go without electricity for lighting or that there's no refrigeration, there's no you know air conditioning, heating in certain places of the world, and we have the comfort, why are we not looking at that as well? So it's taking all this dialogue, making it work for the future, and we're all, well, using your word, our word, align, is <laughs> so important. We have to align the world and line our country up first, though. We've got to make sure we have the security, energy security that will provide security, not just for ourselves, but for the world. Absolutely. How would someone be able to access that monograph? Yes, go to Barnes & Noble or to Amazon, and it's an ebook format. Same with the original book. It's good to have both, but the monograph is the one that's up to date now. But the both Barnes & Noble or Amazon or other outlets, but ebook is the way to go. And can you give us the title of that one more time? Yes, America Needs America's Energy and Its Natural Resources is the monograph. And the book is America Needs America's Energy, Creating Together the People's Energy Plan. Wonderful. That is such an incredible resource. And I'm so grateful that you have made that available to us. And when you were talking about your experience in Russia and China, you mentioned a few columns that you've written as well. Where could our listeners find copies of your columns? Yes, the column, you can go to markstansbury.com. There's a column, there's a podcast, there's mention of the book and different things. So to keep up to date, go to markstansbury.com. I do have one column, and of course, Woman Magazines. I've had columns in Energies, Energies Magazine, Old Woman Magazine, different newspapers and so forth. But again, that website. But one column in particular, going back to China and the Russia effort, or observation, I should say, through the years, is I wrote a column about 2014, and it was when China and Russia had combined efforts to provide natural gas between their countries, and a pipeline was talked about, and an agreement was signed and all that. So I wrote an article because I had seen where, and I mentioned in the Wall Street Journal, where they were toasting, they being the leaders of the countries were toasting. And the, and it was interesting because the toast happened in Shanghai. And so I wrote the article because I saw that at that point that China and Russia signing that agreement back eight years ago, that that was a signal that China was the main driver because of where they signed the agreement and that China and Russia would be a force to contend with as they formed alliances together. So that eight years ago wrote that. And so that's a column I hope that will be a foundation for some from observations of what's going on today. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you for listing out those websites and where people can find that. I have a few more questions for you if you have the time. Sure. All right. You know, we've talked about what has happened in the past, both on the global stage and within the States. Can you tell us a little bit about your views on the future of energy? I know we talked about a little bit of that with Align Energy Solutions, but just generally speaking, going a little bit broader, would love to hear your perspective. Well, I think the easy answer is working together, creating together the People's Energy Plan, as the book says. That means that we need all forms, all American, but this can be applied globally as well, that we need to work on our research and technology and be able to convey that to the world. So that's in a simple format is the best way, I think, to answer that question. Mm, that's powerful. So good. And, you know, there's something that you're a part of that some people may not know that you were a part of a recent docufilm. Could you share a little bit about that project, what initiated it, how you're involved, 
and really the goal and the purpose of that. In the 1990s, I was a young member of a group called the Energy Advocates, and there was a gentleman that came to our meeting in Tulsa at the time, and his name is Jay O'Melia, and he was a sculptor, and he had a sculpture called the Oil Patch Warrior, and it didn't mean so much to me at the time. He told the story about the story behind the Sherwood Forest and what happened in Sherwood Forest in the 1940s, and I was interested, but not to the degree I was years later. So he was giving a speech because he was putting a, going to put a sculpture of the Woolpatch Warrior in Sherwood Forest, about seven foot tall. And it was significant, but I kind of filed it. And then years later, about 10 years later, they wanted to put a statue in Ardmore, Oklahoma. And they asked for contributions and efforts like that. And so all the members that were involved at the meeting contributed a certain amount of money each. And Noble Foundation was involved, the city of Ardmore and others. So they built a sculpture or had a sculpture dedicated in Ardmore. And so I was really proud to be part of that effort. The story goes back in the 1940s, 1943 time era, 1944, in Sherwood Forest, there was a oil field that produced about 150 barrels of oil per day. Not significant enough for the war, but was there that could be increased production. At least that's what the British thought. So they reached out to Americans and happened to be Oklahomans through Noble and some other companies. And so they being roughnecks got together through the Noble (laughs) and the organizers of the trip. And as a top secret mission, they go to Sherwood Forest under camouflage, you name it, and actually wind up living in a monastery, the roughnecks did, different lifestyle for them than they were used to. But they wound up increasing the production of oil from 150 barrels of oil per day to close to 3,000 barrels of oil per day. And because of those efforts, the oil was used in D-Day. And so it really tells about the Oklahoma spirit and the energy industry spirit that we have in our country that exists even today. But that story that we wanted to tell, Gray Fredrickson is a producer. He's an Oscar-winning producer, Academy Award winner for Godfather Several, all three Godfather movies, and several movies like Apocalypse Now. He was nominated for an Oscar. He and I formed a production company back in about 2001 and called Gray Mark. And it wound up that that particular company went on to produce five feature films and won an Emmy for a documentary. And Gray and I have worked together on several opportunities through the years. One was called The Grand Energy Transition, a documentary that was funded by Ted Turner, Boone Pickens, Aubrey McClendon, and others. And that went on the circuit. We went and took that on the circuit back in about 2012, excuse me. So after forming our company in 2001, that goes to 2012 when we had that documentary that came out. And then as of recent, the documentary that you're talking about, Sherwood Forest, Top Secret, is coming out. As far as there's in December, we have the actual premiere to the cast and crew involved and those that funded it and friends like that. And it'll be on OETA, first of all, as far as PBS, latter part of December. We'll have it on other, hopefully, TV stations and taking it to the public as we go. It's not a for-profit film. It's for it's a nonprofit, Oklahoma History Center, and OERB, Noble Foundation, and others are the supporting driver of that as well. So one thing is it's, it tells a great story, and Barry Corbin, who's been in over 200 films, is the narrator. It's something I hope will take you know a history lesson from students as well as those that look at the energy industry in a negative way, uh, we've come a long way because of the oil industry. 
That is phenomenal. I am so fascinated to watch this film when it's available to see more about the story of those who were there in Sherwood Forest during that time. Just it feels like one of those hidden gems that is being unearthed as far as the ways that people sacrificed during the war and also how everyone came together to make things possible. And it even ties back to when you mentioned the future of energy of working together. To me, those two really connect and they hearken back to the same idea and reality. So that is just spectacular. And so you said people could access the film on their local PBS network, the OETA. Is that right? OETA and go to markstansbury.com. I'll be sure to keep everyone up to date the best I can and also on the podcast. So we'll energy fellows. We'll definitely have up to date information coming your way. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you have one more question. Okay. Well, I better hold on. I was getting ready to, <laughs> to say it's a wrap up time, but no, here, let's go one more. That's great. And yeah, this is our final <laughs> thoughts to come away with or just what are your energy plans for 2023 as we're moving in? You know, we're almost wrapping up this fourth quarter. 2023 is right around the corner. What are your thoughts looking into the new year? I'm glad you asked <laughs> because <laughs> the last episode of the year will be addressing that. I have an episode coming out the last part of December. That episode itself will address the plans and efforts going forward for 2023. And hopefully more things will be added along the way during the year. So please tune in to the Energy Fellows. But this has been a, a delight, Ashley. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful to visit with you. First about Align Energy Solutions and your leadership role there. And then to be kind enough to ask me some questions that have been addressed. I really appreciate that. And tell us again, I know I really want to emphasize if you're looking at for opportunities to improve your company's position in the workplace far as retention, recruitment, talent, and in other ways, branding, you name it. The place to go is Align Energy Solutions. And please, one more time, the website. Yes, it is just AlignEnergySolutions.com, and that's A-L-I-G-N, EnergySolutions.com. You've been listening to the Energy Fellows podcast, Ashley Nichols' guest from Align Energy Solutions. I'm Mark Stansby, your host. And just remember, the future of energy depends on us, depends on all of us. Join us again next week on the Energy Fellows podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.